Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. We are proudly sponsored by Peanut, the app that helps you meet like-minded women who are trying to conceive. It provides a safe space for women to build friendships, ask questions and find support. Peanut introduces you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in their journey. They provide access to a community who are there to listen, share information and offer valuable advice. Whether it's learning more about issues that affect fertility or support following pregnancy loss and miscarriage, Peanut is a place to connect with women who understand. Here at The Worst Girl Gang Ever, we strive to open up the dialogue surrounding miscarriage and pregnancy loss. Peanut shares this ethos and we recommend downloading their app for more advice, information and support. You can download their app for free. All you need to do is head to peanut.app.link forward slash girl gang or find it in your app store. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. We're incredibly lucky here this evening to be joined by Ruth, who is the director of the Miscarriage Association that we hope that you're all familiar with. And we're really looking forward to speaking to her about exactly what the association does. So welcome, Ruth. Thank you. Hi. Hi. It's lovely to have you here with us today. Shall we start off by you telling us a little bit about how you came to setting up the Miscarriage Association? Well, that's easy because I can take no credit whatsoever for setting it up. (laughs) Um, The association is a a UK charity that was founded back in 1982 by a bunch of people who had uh, personal experience of miscarriage and who felt that the medical care was, was okay, but that there was a real gap when it came to kind of emotional support and also information. People needed someone to talk to uh, and someone beyond, I guess, their mum or their neighbour or or their partner. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, So that was 1982. So has it just grown and grown and grown or was it, did it start off being really popular and sort of continued to be like that? I think it's grown in many ways, but it hasn't really grown. I was going to say it hasn't really grown numerically. I guess it has in a way. The the core aims have remained the same, which is to provide support and information to people going through pregnancy loss. Yeah. We talk now about ectopic pregnancy and molar pregnancy as well as miscarriage. Mm -hmm. When it started off, people were printing leaflets and and sort of, um, I guess, information sheets. Well, that's kind of gone by the wayside, fortunately. But what is also different is that they set up and quite quickly established support groups Mm. by volunteers across the UK. And there were around 60 of those groups pretty early on. Okay. Now that's changed hugely. We have far, far fewer groups Mm. now. We have about 15 or 16 groups, some of which are now meeting via Zoom. Because the biggest, biggest change, two big changes, one was the internet Mm. and people realizing that they didn't have to wait a month in order to talk about uh, what had gone on with them and how they were feeling and to share their stories. And I think the other thing, and I know it doesn't seem like it's a very long time ago, but more and more people are also working full time and they're finding it harder to find the time to leave the house to go to a support group they've got other things other commitments during the yeah. day also during the evening so I think those are maybe two of the changes yeah. that have happened and that doesn't mean that support groups are less valuable because they are wonderful in terms of places where you can sit around with other people who've been through something similar and support 
and a level of understanding that you don't always get from someone who hasn't been Absolutely. through. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Laura and I talked about um, support groups quite early on, didn't we, Laura? And mm. just the fact that we would love to introduce that because I think there is such a, a lack of human contact in these kind of situations where it's so necessary and it's so welcome to have that touch and that visual. That I think someone that's who a, gets it. With someone who understands exactly yeah. what you're going through without having to do this whole blurb of your story. Yeah, without having to feel awkward or, or or worried about making them feel awkward. Yeah, and that I think that's a huge thing that's come up time and time again is people who haven't told someone what they're going through because they don't want to put them on the spot of having to make a decision in how to behave and how to react. Yeah, and that that's a tricky one. And so, did the support groups just diminish? Yes, they 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 gradually diminished over time. You know, there have been tricky times, like when somebody really, really, really wants to set up a support group because there's nothing in their area and they feel it's really important to do so, and they do their very best and they find somewhere, and and, and then maybe people don't come. Yeah, yeah. People very often say to us, "We, re- I really, really want a support group in my area." But there's mm. a difference between wanting one in your area and actually getting yourself to go because it's quite, as well as being a wonderfully supportive place when you're there, it's, it's quite scary mm. sort of getting up and leaving your house, usually in the, always in the evenings, going to a place that you may not be familiar with. Maybe, maybe a hospital where you're having to go through different corridors to find a room. But even mm-hmm. if it's not a hospital, it can be quite a scary prospect. I think mm-hmm. it takes a lot of courage, actually, to go to a support group. So when people know that they can pretty much immediately get support during the day from our helpline yeah. and from our you know, email and live chat, and they can get it online through private Facebook groups and they'll use our online forum, and they can also talk to other people online Mm. it's more immediate and I think we have an increasing expectation of our needs you know being met immediately that's what we expect on all levels yeah I think that's a a real thing just with the way society works these days we don't tend to want to wait for anything (laughs) no and the beauty of the online support groups is that you can get the support but not have to show your face or tell your story you can just get what you need from other people's experiences until you have the courage or the need to to speak about it about your experiences openly yourself and because the support groups that are currently running on zoom which is interesting because that only happened because of of lockdown lockdown, yeah yeah but of course what it also means is that not only do you not have to get out of your house to go to a group um but you know you might be based in penzance and you can join the group that's being run by the support volunteer for Newcastle on time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because we have at least one group each weekday, it's Monday to Thursdays, it means that you, in theory, you could go to four a week. I mean, people mm. don't, but, but in theory, yeah. if, you wanted, if you wanted to go to more than one a month, you could do that. There's nothing to stop you going to more than one group. Oh, that's fantastic. And how do people access these? Is it through your website? They can see which days there are groups and then they need to contact us to ask for the link details. That's just a bit of a safety sure. mechanism. Really, we don't yeah. have the links up on a public domain. Okay. So, Ruth, how did you get involved with the Miscarriage Association then? I saw an advert. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's what happened. And I had previously worked in all sorts of, in, you know, a, a range of jobs that are, that are around social work. Mm-hmm. But right. also, with, also with people who didn't want to be pregnant. 
Right. So I worked for pregnancy advisory services, right, helping okay. people who didn't want to be pregnant. And it was interesting to me because when I saw this um, post advertised, I'm, I'm very, very conscious about how our feelings and our wishes around our fertility and our childbearing can come to naught. You know, we think that we have control and we don't always have control. Mm -hmm. There is as much psychological significance and importance in wanting to be pregnant and finding troubles either getting pregnant or staying pregnant as there are having an unwelcome pregnancy or trying to prevent an unwelcome pregnancy. I think perhaps the main difference is it's a bit like what we talked about before, that if you if you have been using contraception for years, you know you can contracept. But once you stop using contraception because you want to have a baby, if things don't work out so well, that's a real blow to what your expectations are. Yeah. Kind of assume that we will get pregnant when we want to get pregnant and that we will stay pregnant. And people don't expect things to go wrong. No. no. And we know and why, don't we, Bex? Yeah, we do. <laughs> but it is such a shame is that you're, you're absolutely right, right, Ruth, in what you're saying is that these expectations that we have are not real. They're not realistic expectations because one in four pregnancies ends in a... in miscarriage or in pregnancy loss and unfortunately because of these raised expectations of six days early pregnancy tests and and school about literally just learning how not to get pregnant we see this the double blue lines on a pregnancy test and we imagine that that's the end of all our of all our our wishing to get pregnant and that's it and then and we will be mums and we will be families and we'll be parents and it's just not that way and I, I I think for Laura and I, the biggest thing is, is an education for, for young people so that they go into this period of their life, their childbearing years, knowing that things are not always simple. Yes, I think that's terribly, terribly important. And it's, it's good to know that secondary schools are beginning to realise this needs to be on the personal and, 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 and social health kind of curriculum, mm. that they look at issues like fertility not just in terms of, 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 as you say, preventing a pregnancy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I heard recently that they're going to bring the menopause into uh, the curriculum. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's all moving in the right direction, isn't it? Because it's, just, it's moving away from, from the shame aspect of teaching women and men that women, there's nothing about a woman's body that should be shied away from or, or be ashamed of. Actually, it has a secondary um, benefit too, which is that many of the teenagers will have mothers going through the menopause. Mm, they may be a little true. more understanding. Yep. Yeah, very true. Gosh, but yes, there's still so much work to do. And so your day-to-day, you work full-time, you're the director of the Miscarriage Association. Day-to-day, what's the, the majority of your work? It's very hard to compare one day with another day. Is it? So today I've been working on, for example, today I've been working on the content of our next newsletter. I've been talking to um, my uh, a couple of members of staff because we're preparing to launch a set of resources in a couple of days um, and we're launching those publicly and that's about miscarriage and the workplace. Oh, brilliant. Okay. So 
you know, not only do we want to get the, the resources out there, both to employers and to employees, but we also want to get that subject talked about publicly. So we're also getting in touch with, you know, the press association and, and booking interviews and so on. Mm. And collecting stories from women who've been uh, through this and who've written their stories about the workplace. So, so that's a lot of what I've done today. But at the same time, I've also dealt with emails and calls and all sorts of other stuff that goes on in the day. So, mm. so that's you know that was today. But another day might be a staff meeting. We might be talking about particular kinds of calls that are difficult. We might be. I might be looking at our leaflets and thinking, you know, this one really needs updating. I might be talking yeah. to researchers about some upcoming research on miscarriage or reports that are already out and looking at what they might mean. Okay. So it's, it's hugely varied, which is what's wonderful about it. Yeah. It's also slightly yeah. exhausting. But <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, <laughs> I bet. But it, it's important. And, and of course, it has to be said that the pandemic has made a major difference. It's made a difference in the fact that we're all working from home. So we're only, instead of chatting to each other over, you know, from one office to the other, we have to do it by uh, emailing each other or by having online staff meetings or by mm. texting. The helpline staff have seen an increase of nearly 40% in terms of the numbers. I was going to ask you about that. Okay. And why do you think that is? Is it because people don't have the access to their friends and family that they would have otherwise? Do you think that that is increase? Is that the vibe that that it's increasing the sense of isolation? That's definitely part of it, but a lot of it is also because, and particularly in the first few months when the lockdown was its most severe, because there was a major change in access to to hospital uh, mm-hmm. and GPs and midwives. So if you know, if in February you were pregnant and maybe eight weeks pregnant or something, and you had pain and bleeding you would either go or be referred by your GP to an early pregnancy unit and you would have a scan. And it might take a few days before you could get an appointment, but you would, you would have a scan and then you would be, you know, faced with decisions maybe about how that, that situation was going to be managed. It sounds like a ridiculous word to use, but mm, yeah. if you, I think most people think of a miscarriage as, um, you know, you suddenly have pain and bleeding and that's it. But yeah. for some people, they have some pain and some bleeding, and then they find that their, their baby has already died, but the physical miscarriage hasn't happened. Yeah. And there are different ways that a hospital will suggest managing that. Now, a, a lot of that has gone by the wayside because of social distancing, because of people being encouraged to stay away from the NHS. Do you remember those early mm-hmm. signs that we were all looking at? Save the NHS, stay yeah. at home. So even now, when there's when lockdown is somewhat less strict and the mass of, of hospital admissions for COVID has, has reduced, there are still reductions and restrictions. And for many people, still they cannot take their partner in with them when they're going for a scan when yeah. they're having when they might be receiving really really difficult or or distressing news when they're yeah. having to make decisions about what the next steps are it is i i actually had a miss miscarriage during lockdown and um so i went for my 12 week scan and discovered just literally as you said that our baby had died at 8 weeks and 5 days and not having my husband there with me was just I'd never experienced a miscarriage before so I imagine it is obviously very isolating that's what we hear all the time but to not have anyone there to hold your hand and be that physical 
it's not just happening to you. It's been such so challenging to to kind of get over almost and for my husband as well to not hear the news from a professional person to hear it from me who was I mean I was no in no fit state to be speaking to anyone and then to have to kind of deal with that by himself without the doctors or the sonographers or anything is is and I wonder if there's any other men partners out there that are feeling that kind of almost a lack of closure around surrounding the situation just because there was no professional medical advice given absolutely and they feel dreadful for their partner because they know that she's in there Mm. and they're not sure if she's getting good news or not and they they feel dreadful when you finally come out and cross the car park and, and and tell them the news and they're trying to comfort you while at the same time trying to manage their own feelings of shock and loss. Mm-hmm. And understand what's what's going on because they've not been there. They've not seen the screen of the ultrasound machine. And and also, I know that Rob was, my husband, didn't really want to push me for information yes. <laughs> because I was so distraught. And that as well as when you are there, you can push the professionals for information because they have the information. But when you've got a, a crying partner who's literally I just remember saying there's no heartbeat there's no heartbeat and he wanted to say why what's happened but obviously there was no space for that to happen and I think that that's really gonna affect the mental health of a many 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 couples that have been through this situation at this time yes and I, I wonder if that's going to be an ongoing thing well I'm hoping very much that the that the um you know, the, the, the issue around partners being or not being able to be present is going to ease. It's mm-hmm. beginning to ease. But that doesn't mean that, those, that that emotional impact is going to ease quite so simply or in, you know, in a straightforward way. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And that's certainly one of the biggest things that people have talked about as being awful about COVID. And when I say people, I mean the people, you know, our stakeholders, if you like people who are going through pregnancy loss they talk Mm. about it over and over Mm. yeah yeah I can I can definitely see that and do you have a somewhere that for men specifically are your lines open for men and women or do you have a um a male kind of support group uh our lines are open to anybody okay Uh, and you know partners include same-sex partners so so you know it's available for anyone we have a on the website, we have a page that talks about partners and we also have a leaflet for partners. Brilliant. And that just gives advice on how to support your partner and how to manage your own feelings surrounding the loss as well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, why, am I, why am I sort of raising my eyebrows slightly? Um, because I guess we, we, we try and avoid offering advice. Okay. We might suggest, we might, but we most often say, I guess we most often use conditional language. You may right. feel like this. Your partner might. You may find this helpful. Some people okay. have told us. Many people find that. Mm. There's no right or wrong way, is there? you just got to do what's best for you, I guess. You know, you asked me a question ages ago, and I'm sure there was a three-part answer, and I've only given two, but I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> it was something that we do that sort of thing COVID. all the time. It was about <laughs> COVID and how it's made a difference. Oh, yeah, because it was to do with my day. You know, some of the issues are around, you know, one of the first things that we did with, uh, with, with, the, with lockdown was to put a whole load of new information onto our website. Uh-huh. 
to make sure it was across the website. So that lots of the pages have text in red, which says due to the coronavirus pandemic, X, Y, and Z, because mm. that's really, really important and keeping yeah. that up to date is important. But the other impact it's had in, in terms of the work that we do is, is, is also funding. And we're not alone in that. For many charities, that's been the case. So, in terms you know, of there is no, no, not a lot of funding during corona? or In terms of the fact that because of social distancing, lots of mass participation events like the London Marathon, which is a major, major income source for us, of course, yeah. are cancelled. Um, so that's made a real difference. I mean, we've been very, very fortunate in having a, an awful lot of supporters who've risen to different kinds of challenges and mm. are supporting us. And, and we're, we're hugely grateful for that. But there is a big chunk that isn't coming in this year. Mm. So even looking at, looking at how we uh, generate funding is also part of of our work we have a we have a, a fundraiser on staff but but you know we we work together crikey you're spinning lots of plates aren't you that's exactly how it feels i bet yeah. sometimes they wobble quite a lot <laughs> yeah i bet <laughs> but i have to say we have a really really good team i said before there are just eight of us four of us full-time four of us part-time but this is a bunch of people who are super dedicated work really well together despite you know being being physically separated right now mm, yeah and that makes a real difference there's a strong team feel and a commitment to the to the job mm, that's great and I think from my own personal experience which is it's not very long but it's just the community sort of feeling of community amongst this horrible horrible thing is incredible and we called ourselves the worst girl gang ever because that's exactly how it feels. It's a gang that you would never, ever choose to be a part of. But once you're part of it, you have the support of thousands of thousands of women yeah. who just know where you are and who hear you. And I think that for us is a, a really important factor in this whole miscarriage and pregnancy loss spectrum is the fact that sometimes you can feel really invalid because your baby never came to be in this world. But to you, the baby was always there from, from the positive pregnancy test. And the support of this incredible community, so you know, on socials and everything, it's just been phenomenal. And I just want to, we want to do our bit to, um, to increase that and increase the awareness. And Open up the dialogue. Open up the dialogue. Uh, yeah, I think that's fantastic and terribly, terribly important. It's, it's, amazing to me you know i'm i'm really elderly it's amazing <laughs> <Hang on laughs> no. yes, the people will sit in a waiting room with their phone in their hand and they're on you know they're in their facebook group and they're talking about what's happening and what they've just been told and what they're feeling mm. and instantly there are people saying you know we're rooting for you or mm. sorry or this happened to me Mm. And, and of course, there are times in social media where people say something that completely doesn't fit the bill or annoys you or, or somehow upsets you. Mm. Um, you know, not usually deliberately, just, just because of not thinking about it or yeah. because of assuming that what you felt is how they feel. But it is a wonderful support. You know, it can be a really wonderful place to get support, a wonderful way to get support. And yeah. I think 
what we do is different. It's, it is different. It's not, I mean, we do have, uh, I have to say that I talked about our staff and we have support volunteers too, the guys who run the, the support groups, but also people who offer peer support on the phone. Mm. Um, and they're doing that from the perspective of having been through something similar themselves. Okay. The staff don't. The, the staff provide support as as staff, as you know, professionals, if you like. So, yeah. so we're we're kind of a step back. We're not talking about our feelings. Mm. We're helping them by we hope by by listening and by empathizing and and very often by helping them understand the information they've been given. Because right. yeah. maybe you found this too, Bex, but but when you're in there having having a scan and somebody's particularly when somebody's giving you bad news, actually you know, you hear all that stuff, but you don't necessarily remember it or understand mm, no. all the words. And you wonder what the terminology is and what the heck is a fetal pole? Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and this kind of thing. So And you don't have the sense you don't have the presence of mind at that time to stop. I'm a good one for asking questions if I don't understand. I'm never embarrassed to say, uh, what does that mean, please? But during that time, I didn't have the presence of mind to think about that, to think about all the questions that I should be asking. And also, I didn't have my husband there to later on say, oh, you remember she said that? What do you think that meant? Or I think the the other part of that, because I think that's absolutely true, but even if you do ask the questions, and I've been in the situation once where a family member was very ill and in intensive care, and and I talked very sensibly and intelligently with the doctors, and three minutes after they'd left the room, I hadn't a clue what they'd said. Mm. I couldn't remember. Something else takes over, doesn't it? Yeah. Because when you're in shock, you don't absorb information in the same way. In terms of how people get in contact with you, so you've got private Facebook groups that people can join. Yeah. If they just search Miscarriage Association, right? Yeah. So people can find us online. We have a helpline, a staffed helpline, Monday to Friday, 9 to 4, Mm -hmm. where you'll always find somebody. And... Those helpline staff also respond to emails. There is live chat on each of those five days. There are Facebook groups, as you say, and an online forum and a website that's got a lot. I mean, if we had to to type it all, if we had to print it all out, it would be an awful lot of trees. (laughs) There's There's a lot of information there. Yeah, all our leaflets are up there. Great. Um, Lots of lots of sort of support type stuff like pages on looking after your mental health pages on pregnancy after loss which is okay scary time and a Mm -hmm. whole bank of personal stories so that you can read about what other people have been through felt how they've got through yeah that's the important bit isn't it how they survived it and came out the other side and the stories that provide hope as well people who who have gone on to have a healthy pregnancy. Yeah, and that's interesting, isn't it? Because we, I, I mentioned that we have this online forum and, and we've divided it up into several boards. And there's, there's a board called um, Pregnant After Loss. Mm-hmm. And then there's another board called Pregnant After Loss 2. You, know, you sometimes divide them because sometimes people want to hear I, it all worked out and I now have a baby. And sometimes people don't want to hear that because mm. they can't allow themselves 
to have that hope. You're totally right. And I've talked about this before, because for me, I had seven pregnancy losses before I had my little boy. And I didn't want to hear anyone's happy ending because I just never thought it would happen to me. And and I just didn't want to hear it. It didn't provide me with any comfort at all. And actually, it made me feel worse when people told mm. me stories of successful pregnancies after loss and I just kept thinking yeah well that's them that's not me you know what's the chances of this one sticking and Mm. yeah going through repeated losses is such a huge toll you know such a huge emotional burden and you and I guess different people also find different ways of of dealing with that it's Mm. you know do you keep having hope or do you keep saying well I don't suppose this one's going to work so I'm not going to think about it which is a bit of a I don't know who, who we all think we're kidding but you know Let's not think about it. Yeah, it's a positive pregnancy test, but it's not going anywhere. But secretly, you hope that it is. It's, oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's so, so hard. There's definitely kind of two camps, isn't there? There's the, if I don't admit it to myself, then it won't be as painful if it fails. And then there's the, I've got to think positively because positive thinking is the way forward. I've heard, I've heard yeah. people talking in both ways. and That's not helped terribly by, you know, Auntie Mary or the neighbour saying, you've got to think positive because if you think negative, that's just going to increase the risk. Exactly. Which you really need to go, hold it there. <laughs> people say... So true. People do the most marvellous things. Most marvellous things. Helpful things like, oh, you've had two miscarriages, so that's awful. But listen, it's okay, because I know somebody who had 17 miscarriages. Now she's got two children. Oh, wonderful. That's good. So just another 15 (laughs) days. And every sentence that starts with at least. Oh, yes. At least you know you can get pregnant. Wonderful. (laughs) That's helpful when they just keep falling out. Yeah. Don't worry. Don't worry. At least you know. At least it was early. At least it was early. At least you're still young. At least you've already got a child. That's a vet. Yeah, that's that's the painful one. And you know what's really sad about that is that all of those people want to be helpful. Mm. Yeah, they really, really want you to feel better. Yeah. yeah, it is well meant, and I've probably said those things myself before I went through yeah. these experiences. Um, it is well meant and but we're really trying to to change that and to try and help people understand what it feels like to be on the other side and advise them what what are helpful things to say Mm. and actually one of our one of our pals on Instagram Katie she um she's running the no words campaign with Mm. our Ottilie on um on Instagram and she's she's running this campaign that it's okay to say I don't know what to say. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and she's trying to educate people on, on how to communicate and what to say to help people who've been through pregnancy loss. So yeah. a little shout really, out for Katie there. Because <laughs> realistically, there, there are no words, are there? There's nothing that, and I think this, we've said this recently, is that there's nothing you can say that will make things any better, but saying nothing makes it worse. It's interesting because we did, over several years, we came finally came to... Um, a campaign called uh, Simply Say. Hmm. A simply Say is, you know, just say, I'm sorry, and then listen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And people will, will let you know if they don't want you to be sorry. What was it we came up with, Beck? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's it shit. shit. Bring Should wine. Should I get some wine? Oh, oh yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so we have some, take a look on the website. We have some pregnancy loss cards. That, oh, I've oh, seen that. Great. When you don't yeah. know what to say and you can't think of the right words. Yeah. And they're nice. 
And I have to say, you do lovely Christmas cards as well. I always get my Christmas yeah, well, cards. We don't, my yeah, but we don't get the credit for the design on the Christmas cards. But, but this was done with a, with a, a wonderful um, company who, who have supported us often. Uh, and they're kind of, they're just brilliant. And they helped us use the words that women had, and men had given us over mm. time as to the things that they thought were helpful to say to people. But actually, people didn't always think about it. I've got them yeah. here. Ready? Oh, hurrah. I wish this wasn't happening to you. I don't know what to say, but I promise I'm here for you. Oh. There's no good card for this. I'm so sorry for your loss. Simple, but effective, right? Yeah, really effective. Because it's not trying to make things better. I think that's what everyone just wants you to feel better. And that's why we say it comes from a good place. But you can't squash grief away with words. You know, you've got to... That's the invalidation, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, this one's a good one. This is totally star, 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 star. So here's a hug (laughs) in an envelope, a folded squeeze from me to you. Oh, that's great. Yeah. (laughs) You You remembered that better than I did, mainly because you had it in front of you. I cheated. (laughs) Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Ruth. It's been... um, it's been lovely to chat with you and so nice to know a bit more about the Miscarriage Association. And we tag you in all of our posts and we sometimes Yay. wonder if it annoys you. <laughs> it has Fab. been really lovely to speak to you, Ruth. It's Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much, Ruth. You're very welcome. Take care bye. now. Bye. 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 Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.